and continue today to look in this book of Joshua. Uh, so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up the book of Joshua chapter 4 with me. Um, and we're going to jump back into where we left off last week. Some of you maybe had some rough things happen this week. I don't know what happened in all of your lives, but uh, I know that for uh, this one family I want to talk to you about, um, it was not the best of weeks. Um, little Leo Belknap is a cute two-year-old toddler young man. And uh, he was uh, helpful, loves to help his mom, and had been helping his mom do various things. But his mom and dad discovered that there was an envelope of $1,060 in cash that they had been saving up to pay off their f season football tickets to the University of Utah's football season. And so uh, mom and dad named Ben and Jackie Belknap had been saving this money up and were going to pay his parents back for purchasing the tickets for them. They went to get the envelope with the cash in it and could not find it anywhere. And as you see there, um, little helpful uh, Leo had been helping mom shred some junk mail, getting rid of some things, and just did what toddlers do when you show them how to use a power machine that shreds things. He's just kept shredding things. And so uh, he found the envelope with the $1,060 in it and proceeded to shred that. And they looked all over the house until finally she had the uh, recollection of them doing that. And she looked in the, uh, in the little bin that collects all of your shredded documents. And there were $100 bills and cash that had been shredded in the bottom of their basket. And so that was not good news for them. Uh, of course, if you had uh, $1,060 that you had saved slowly uh, to pay off your football debts, then that would be a bad thing, right? And so, um, but they, there's good news. Just as a side to this, in the Washington Post article that I read, did you know that if this happens to you at your house, that you can mail that shredded $100 bills or cash to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and they will work to put that back and give you your money back. It's like $30 million a year gets recycled and saved because of that. So that's free. That's nothing to do with the sermon. But just in case that would happen to you, you can be prepared for that, okay? And so now you know. And so anyway, Leo, little Leo illustrates the point that I want to begin and think about here today, that it is a shame to waste something so valuable. It is a shame, and if you have ever been in that situation, if one of your kids has ruined something of great value to you, you just know that sinking feeling of, I just had something that was valuable, maybe even just valuable in your mind, but it's no longer valuable because they broke it, and so you lose that, and it's a shame to waste that, and, and the story we're going to look at today, um, God is going to show his people in Joshua chapter 4 that he doesn't want to waste an important moment in their life, in fact, he wants to make the most of it and use it as a, uh, a teaching tool going forward into generations that would follow after them, and that's what we find in Genesis, uh, excuse me, Genesis Joshua chapter 4. So let's review. If you haven't been with us these last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Joshua as an illustration, as some examples of what a courageous faith looks like uh, to be lived out. And so we've met a series of people as we've journeyed through each chapter so far. In Joshua chapter 1, we, we introduced this under the theme of a will-seeking people quickly find themselves being courage-needing people. And Joshua is thrust into a situation where things are complicated and difficult and hard. All right, he's filling the shoes of a man who's been Israel's only leader for 40 plus years. And Joshua is asked then to take up the reins of leadership and follow Moses. That's a hard job, right? That, that's an intimidating job. But not only that, he's asked as well to just, no longer are we going to be nomads wandering around in the desert. Now we're going to 
become a military force and we're going to go take over uh, this place that doesn't really want to be taken over. And so there's all kinds of threats and difficult, scary things that, that he is facing. And so he was seeking after God's will, wanting to do that. But over and over through that chapter, Joshua chapter 1, you find verses like this in Joshua 1, 7, where it says, be strong and be very courageous. And over and over you find that phrase, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why does he need, why does he need to hear that? Because he is, um, he's not strong and he's not very courageous. He needs that. And so Joshua is an example that illustrates that when we seek after God, one of the things we're going to need is courage for that journey. But as we journey through that, the second thing in Joshua 2, we met this really cool lady by the name of Rahab. And Rahab is a woman who wasn't a Hebrew woman at all. In fact, she lived with the enemy. She was a, a citizen of Jericho, um, had not been a God worshiper in her life, uh, but she began to hear these stories of, of, of the God of Israel, and she began to believe in him. And so when two spies from Israel show up on her doorstep, she takes the risky act of courage and hiding them and protecting them from uh, her town and shelters them uh, and eventually gains the promise that when, hey, when you guys come and destroy the city, would you save me and my family? And so she takes the courageous act of, of hiding the spies, of, of unhiding her faith, of being willing to say, you know what, this is risky to me, I could lose everything, but I'm not going to just uh, stuff my faith. I will let my faith be known by what I do in, towards these spies. And last week, we looked at Joshua chapter 3. And we looked at the people of God coming to the edge of the Jordan River, about to move into the promised land that they had been waiting for, for a long, long time, centuries, if you want to go back in biblical history. And we looked at a group of men that we don't know their names, but they were a group of men who had a difficult task. They were, uh, they were priests, and their job was to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And there's this promise in Joshua 3 that says, if you guys carrying this big, heavy, gold-plated box, if you'll come to the Jordan River at its flood stage as it's roaring past you, if you put one foot in the water... I will stop the waters, and I will allow you to cross on dry land, and, and the people of Israel can finally have access to this land they have dreamed of and hoped for for so many uh, decades and centuries. And so we looked at the idea that for these priests, stepping in that river demonstrated their belief that the risk of faith was better than the retreat of fear. Uh, they could have stepped back from that. They could have said, no, you part the waters, we'll step in. But they didn't do that. They were willing to put a foot in the water, and God was faithful, and he took care of them. And, it's, and they have this courageous story to tell because of it. And so that leads us then to where we are here in Joshua 4. Because really Joshua 3 and 4, they're the same story. It's just the second part of it. And so we're going to pick up here today in Joshua 4. And here's the theme. Charlie said it so well. And, and in fact, every time, uh, I, I should just say what Charlie said, and we'll be done half an hour early, but we're not going to do that, um, because that just, that just wouldn't be fun. But here, when, Char when uh, Charlie used that word remember, right, to remember is an important part of courage, right? People of courage tend to have uh, this about them. Look at this statement with me, that courageous faith in this moment, in this moment, right now where you stand, is closely linked with our memory of past God moments. Go to that next one if you want to. There you go. Uh, that courageous faith in this moment oftentimes is closely linked with our memory of past God moments. What does that mean? That means that a person of courage isn't just living in this moment, 
But a person of courage tends to build up courage over time because they have a, a memory of times when God has come through, when God has answered a prayer, when God has taken care of them, when God has seen them through a stressful, hard time, when God has made provision for you, when God has shown you grace when you didn't deserve it. All those kind of things begin to build up if you are a remembering person. But forgetful people don't tend to have that courage because they forget all the things that God has done in the past and they're only focused on the moment. And so Joshua 4 is a wonderful example <clears throat> to us of what that courage-linked memory looks like. And so let's read through our text here today and uh, just make some applications. I want to start with a map. Uh, maps are always exciting at church. And so here's a map that just kind of gives you a mental image of where we're at in history, where they're at, right? They've already crossed the Jordan River, except for everybody except for the priests are still in the river, and they're moving towards Gilgal and eventually towards Jericho here in a few weeks. But they're going to make camp in that little place called Gilgal uh, in our text today. And so just so you have a mental image of where they're at, uh, that might help you, or if not, we'll move on to verse 1 of chapter 4. It says this, when the whole nation, when all Israel had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So they're given an assignment. While the river is parted, I want you to go into the riverbed. I want you to find 12 large stones, not just small rocks, but large stones, boulders is the word that they use for that. Um, and we're going to do something with them, right? We're going to make a visual, e a visual aid here. So Joshua, verse 4, called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark uh, of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. That little phrase is important. This is going to be a sign. This is going to be something that is going to be a, a signpost. It's a, it's a memory maker, something that's going to mark this day in the future. So, and he goes on to say, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took those 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan. Uh, go on, keep on, go there, go. there we go. According to the number of the, member of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they, they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. Verse 11 goes on to say, The people hurried over. As soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. And then it kind of begins to review a little bit here uh, as you read this next part. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about three tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of Manasseh were on the east side of the Jordan River. And we remember a few weeks ago, we said, Hey, you've already got your property and your territory. You've gotten in your inheritance, but don't leave your brothers and your sisters. Let's, let's join the fight. Come with us, and then you can return back. And that's what this verse is about. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle. 
in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them, about 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. And so Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and no sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place, and it ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal um, on the eastern border of Jericho. And you just, just note that, again, that's a, that's a significant day. They had been waiting for this for literally centuries, waiting to to move into this land, to be here, to be in the land that God said they were going to be in. And so they, they were, this, just don't let that pass by. That's a significant day in Israel's history. Right? As Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan, he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry grounds. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And so you read that chapter. And what do you glean from that? What, what, what did we learn there about the connection between courage and memory? Well, I think it's this that God wanted them to remember. The thing that God wanted more than anything was not was for this day not to be wasted. Don't let what has just happened here just be a, a moment and it's gone, shredded in, in history. This needs to be a moment that we mark, that we remember, because this is a moment that is going to give courage and direction and hope to future generations of Israelite people. And so God wanted them to remember I don't know about you, but I'm at that stage of life where memory <laughs> becomes valuable, right? Because I'm beginning to remember less than I used to, I think. It seems that way, but I don't remember. And so it's crazy. Um, but as we go through life, one of the things that we're conditioned to understand is that the older you get, the more that you tend to be forgetful, right? I'm not making generalizations. I think we all know, understand that, right? Um, and so I love this story of, of this class reunion. Those are always fun times to get together and rehash the good old days. There was a group of about 30-year-old people that were looking together to get together for their class reunion. And someone suggested this really new, hip restaurant down the road called Glowing Embers. The clientele was really young and fun and, and good-looking, just like they were as 30-year-olds. And so they met there at Glowing Embers and had a great time. Fifteen years later, it's time for another reunion, they think. So they decide to get together, and they're talking about themselves. Where are we going to meet at? Where are we going to eat at? They say, Let's go to the Glowing Embers again. The food selection's really good there. And so they meet at Glowing Embers and have a great time. Fifteen years later, they're now about 60. Most of them are still, still around, and they want to get together again. Somebody says, let's go to Glowing Embers. It's quiet and peaceful. doesn't smell like smoke. Uh, so they met, and they had a great time at Glowing Embers. Fifteen years later, they're all about 75 years old. Someone suggests that they go back to Glowing Embers again. The restaurant is accessible. It has handicapped ramps and elevators. The bathrooms are handicapped accessible. It's a wonderful place for us to meet. 
And so 15 years later, they're all about 90. Most of them are still alive. And they're getting together to talk about, well, where are we going to meet at? And what are we going to do? Well, this is probably our last Torah. So where are we going to meet at? So they start talking excitedly about where they're going to get together. And someone suggests, you know what? I suggest we meet at Glowing Embers because we've never been there before. And I've heard great things about that. <laughs> all of that to say that we tend to forget over time. We tend to forget things that we should remember, and that's true physically, mentally. That's, that's fine. That's really not what this is about. But we tend to forget things spiritually. We forget spiritual things and, and things that God does, God moments in our life that, that could shape my present-day reality, that could shape the struggle I'm in, that could give me wisdom for the decisions that I'm facing. But we forget. And God did not want his people to forget and so before, even though part of them are already armed and ready for war, God says, wait, before you guys go start throwing your bows and arrows around, before you start go doing that kind of stuff, I want you to build a pile of rocks. But they're special rocks. Out of the middle of the Jordan River, I want you to go and I want you to build a monument. I want you to build this monument as a marker for the future. So that those in the future are going to look at that and it's going to cause them to ask questions. But not just the future, it's going to cause you to remember what has happened here. Remember who I am, to remember what I've done. Remember, remember, remember. You see, God is big about that. Um, if you just rewind just a few, probably a few, not, not very many days, months, even if just a short few years, if that, Back to the end of Moses' life before Joshua assumes leadership in the book that we're reading. The book before it is Deuteronomy, and it's kind of Moses has gathered the, his, he knows his days are numbered. Um, this is a pun on the book before it. The, he knows his days are not long. Some of you get that. Some of you just look at your first, look at your, your list of books in your Bible. That was a funny joke. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, anyway, Moses knows his days are few, and he realizes, I want to give la one last speech to encourage the people before I leave. And so he gathers together um, all his thoughts. And he, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's a beautiful book. Uh, he goes and he just spends time talking about the law, reminding them of it in a beautiful way. But over and over in that book, he reminds them, as you move into this new phase, this no longer we're going to be nomads following clouds and fire in the sky and eating manna, we're going to settle into a new land. Do not forget. It's illustrated by this in Deuteronomy 4.9. It says this, only be careful and watch yourselves closely that you do not forget the things that you have seen, that your eyes have seen, or let them, and I love this part of it, let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Because how does memory tend to go away? It tends to fade over time. New experiences, new challenges, new places, time flows. And all of a sudden, those old things begin to fade away. He says, be careful that you not let them fade from your heart as long as you live and teach them to your children, uh, to their children after them. And so we could look at this for lots of different other verses. I just want to show you one more from Deuteronomy chapter 8. A few chapters later, Moses again tells them, when you have eaten, in other words, when you've moved into this land and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And note the connection. What does it mean to not forget? It means that you continue to obey, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. So forgetfulness leads to spiritual attitudes that are not good with God, that, that, that work against God. 
you'll become proud. You'll forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's so you can go throughout the entire Old Testament and God is continually challenging his people, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, remember, remember, remember. But that's not just an Old Testament principle. It's very much a New Testament principle. That, in fact, what we just did a few moments ago in pausing to take communion is very much the same principle. It is a pausing to remember. Now, we could have done this and you could have gone through this and given no thought to anything. Certainly it can become an empty ritual. But it's not designed to be. Because Paul would describe it this way in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says this about the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Old Testaments, don't forget the Exodus. Don't forget all that God has done to make him a people. New Testament now, don't forget Christ. Don't forget all that Christ has done to make you his people. Don't forget his death. Don't forget his resurrection. Don't forget that moment. Because that moment ought to speak into our present moments in its various shapes and forms that it comes to us. Don't forget. And so why is God so big on, on remembering? I think there are just a few things that I would mention as we finish this up. Why, did God, why is God so concerned that they not forget that he says this over and over again. I think there are a few things from this story, from Joshua 4, that I think can teach us. Number one is this. God wanted them to remember a bigger story. He wanted them to remember a bigger story. Do you remember those little verses that, that from Deuteronomy? When you forget, you're going to stop obeying. When you forget, you're going to become prideful. What is that? It's, I'm going to do what I want to do, and it's all about me, right? I'm going to start living for my little kingdom. It's whatever Chris can do, and whatever Chris can accomplish, and Chris can amass, and it's just my little kingdom. But what happens when I stop and remember, if I'm a Hebrew person, or remember the Exodus? I remember, yes, I'm a Hebrew person, but I'm a part of a much, much bigger story. There's a story that began long before me. There's a story that goes on long after me. And I am just a little part of that. There's certainly a humility that comes with that. As a Christian, same thing. What am I? I am not just my little kingdom. I'm a part of Christ's kingdom that was here long before me, will be here long after me. I am just a small part of what he is doing in a much bigger story. And the story that you listen to and that you really lean into is the thing that's going to shape your life. So what are you going to, what's going to be your priorities in your life? What's going to shape your decisions? What, what's going to drive your passions? It's the story that you live for. And so if you're living for the bigger story that is God and all that he is doing in this world through Christ, that's going to shape you. But you're never going to think about that story unless you stop and you remember. And so God invites them to be a remembering people for that reason Joshua 2, or 4, verse 24. Again, remember, remember what he finished that chapter with. Why did God do all of this? He did this so that all the peoples of the earth, not just the Hebrew people, not just the people who just crossed over the river, I want everybody, I want all the peoples of this earth to know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This was much bigger than what was going on just in those few moments. It was a much bigger story. And so a second thing is this. A second reason that God is so big on remembering is that God wanted them to remember 
a studying story. A studying story. What do I mean by that? What does it mean to be steady? It means to be balanced. It means to have a, a firm foundation. Why is that important? These Hebrew people were about to launch into something that was going to be the most intimidating, scary thing they had ever done in their life. There was going to be days that they were going to be just uh, way out of their elements, way, just way underwater. It's like uh, um, thinking, how in the world are we going to do this? This is much bigger than us. This is something, this is impossible for us. And so where do you find a peace in the midst of a world that sometimes feels like that? Your memory is part of that. Because um, if your life, if, if you've lived with Christ very long, hopefully you have experiences where you have asked him for help and he has given you help. You have asked him for provision and he has given provision. You have asked him for guidance and he has led you. He has helped you. You asked for all these things and, and you've seen God work in maybe sometimes small ways, but maybe big ways. And so why does that matter if you remember because you're in a moment and you're scared, you're nervous, you're, you're just not sure what to do, your memory ought to at least be able to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to the question, but I know I don't have to panic. I don't have to freak out here because God had me, he had me, he had me, he has me, and it's okay. I don't need to freak out here. And so there's a steadying influence that your memory of what God and his God moments brings into your life that ought to be, the older you get, the more stable, the more steady you ought to be able to experience because you've got not just weeks or years, but you, some of you have decades of, of story to say, look how faithful God has been to me. Why would I ever doubt him? And so it's a steadying story. I love what Psalms 90 verses 1 and 2, I think on those days when you are just so stressed out, I think this is one of the best prayers you could ever pray. God, I am lost and confused today, but you have been our dwelling place through all generations. You have been my safe place. You have been my steadying place for a long time. And so a third thing is this, that God wanted them to remember a strengthening story, not just steady your feet, but to give them strength to go forward. There was a strength that he wanted them to have that I think remembering would give to them. Now again, they had not built dams and parted the river and stopped the water flow. God had done that. And they were about to begin to, as we read in these next few chapters, they're going to face battles and God's going to ask them to do some strange things militarily. Um, but what he's going to do is remind them that if you obey me, there is a strength that will come into your life and part of the way that you're going to find that strength and tap into it is by remembering, remember that day when you stood at the banks of that river and it was scary and it was flooded and you thought, there's no way, but I made a way. And there's a strength to say, you know what, I'll step forward because God is going to give me the strength to do that. And my memory helps to feed into that. It helps me, give me a strength. And finally, God wanted them to remember a shareable story. I don't know if that's a word or not, but I, I'm going to use it anyway. A shareable story. It's a story that was meant to be shared beyond the moment. It was not meant for them to say, oh, that was great, and we move on till tomorrow, and we forget. It was meant to be a repeatable, shareable story that future weeks, future years, future generations are going to walk by this pile of rocks, and they're going to think, why did we build a pile of rocks here? And the answer is going to be, because God because God did this. God did this for us. And let me tell you the story, son. Let me tell you the story, grandson. Let me tell you the story of what God has done. 
God was concerned that future generations would know this and continue to choose faith in him. Joshua 4, 21 and 22 again says, he said to the Israelites in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And so how does this apply? I just love listening to people who have stories to tell of God at work in their life. I love that when I see people overcoming things and overcoming struggles and overcoming hurts and overcoming all kinds of things and I just listen to them talk about how God has helped them. Sometimes it's a series of small things that gets them where they are. Sometimes it's a big thing. But I love those stories because those stories speak into my story. Those stories speak courage into my journey. A couple weeks ago, I was on the phone with a friend of mine named Charlie, and he was, uh, he's an old guy, but uh, he's been preaching for a long time, serving for a long time, and he has great stories to tell. He takes forever to tell them, but he has great stories to tell. And he was just talking back, way back when, before there was a campus house at the University of Missouri, um, back in Roy Weiss and all those guys were around, and, and they were wanting to build a house, but they needed money to do it. And Charlie said they had called him, said, Charlie, would you be willing to commit $1,500 to this project. That's a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money, but it's a lot of money, especially back then. And he didn't have it. And so he prayed about it and he thought, you know what, God, I believe in the project. I believe this is a God thing, but I don't have it. And so if it's going to happen, you're going to have to provide and I'll give it if you provide it. And so they waited and they prayed and they kept praying. And pretty soon his wife, um, who was got a, a, a part-time uh, sub position at the local school and that kicked a little money. Well, that was just a part-time thing and it ended, but then immediately they were going to hire somebody else, but they did, that person decided to leave, so they hired her full-time and it just continued to roll with step after step after step and all of a sudden he has this memory in his life of how God met a need, provided for something, and he can look at the great thing that's done, has been done over the years at the campus house because of that. Um, but there's this confidence that he lives with that I can trust God to meet a need, to fill a gap, that I can take a step of faith saying, God, I'll do it if you'll provide. And he has confidence. And in just in telling me that story a few weeks ago, it just sparked something in me, just to remind myself of the times when God had done that to me. And so here's what I love. I love it when you talk to people who tithe or even give beyond that, you hear stories like that. You hear stories of people who say, you know what? God has met my needs and he's provided for me more than I would ever imagined. I never missed it. Or you talk to people who trust God to provide for them and you hear stories. You talk to people who obey God when things get hard and, and it was maybe a struggle, maybe there's opposition and you find stories of confidence of how God steps in those God moments and it produces stories because those stories are worth sharing and they, they produce an effect in the lives of others. And so... In times of stress, in times of sacrifice, in times of... Um, might we be a people who aren't short-term memory people, but are long-term memory people? Say, you know what? I'm really stressed today. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. I've gotten out of the habit, and I should get back to that immediately. I used to keep a journal, and I could look back on certain days that I had marked really clearly because I was really stressed. I was a lot of inner turmoil and stuff I was just really struggling with. And as you keep turning pages day by day, I could look back and think, man, it, it was hard. I wouldn't want to repeat it, but boy, that... That was good. God was faithful. And there's a confidence. And the next time the next big stressful thing comes, oh, man, it's still hard, still scary. But I've got this thing in the back of my mind saying, God is a God who's alive. God is active. God is at work. 
and he will meet that need. So stress less, worry less, trust more. So as you and I go through life, it's my hope and my prayer that you and I would be a people that remember well in those monument moments. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the ability to remember. Thank you for a a story, a record that you have left with us that, that was given to us for a purpose, that was given to us so that we might receive encouragement, that we might receive help in our 